Good morning, everyone. Uh, let's do this. We're going to try something new. Let's hope I don't screw this up. Let's give it a whirl. Yeah, this this church rocks, dude. <clears throat> yeah, I just tried to do rock and roll by Led Zeppelin and screwed that one up. You remember that one, Mom? Yeah, hell yeah. Welcome everybody to the Gnostic Church Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. I am your teacher of the mysteries and preacher of the heart, Marty Leeds. And no, we don't need to say that. Welcome everybody. Thank you all for being here. I figured we'd try a little rock and roll this morning. Um, we are coming live from Beecher, Wisconsin. I'm your Beecher Preacher. And we are doing service every Sunday, as you guys know. That's why you're here. Service every Sunday at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time. And hopefully I got my mic correct this time. Does the does the audio sound all right? Encore. Rock on. Thank you. That was awesome. Yeah, a little wank. I'm a, I'm the, I'm a professional wanker on guitar. Just ask my wife. 
That might sound good right there, but if you heard that eight hours a day, you'd be like, oh, Jesus, I got to divorce this thing. I'm leaving this church. Anyway, if you are watching this on BitChute or Rumble or uh, Odyssey, we should be getting up pretty soon here. Go thank Content Safe. Thanks, Content Safe. Thank you for getting us up on the YouTubings and all of the, or I guess not YouTubings, but you know what I mean. On the internets, we appreciate it. Audio is good. Thank you. Uh, we are streaming to YouTube and Rockfin, and this podcast is available all the podcasting places. You guys know it. And you can get this at Flat Earth, Sun, Moon, and Zodiac app. That is the Flat Earth app by Mr. Dirk. And you can get that there. You can get that on my site, GnosticAcademy.org, right there. Boom, boom, boom. You see that? That's where you go. That's the place where you get all the books. The podcast, the music, the documentaries, the old podcast, all the archives, that's all there. And you can get the app there as well. And you can get all the Sunday sermons on that app. Great app. Just turned uh, somebody onto it because they're like, oh, I don't like apps. I'm like, yeah, neither do I. But this app is actually really handy because not only does it tell you about our flat stationary earth, but it also connects you to people that talk about the flat stationary earth as well. So it's pretty nice. So let's, <clears throat> what's that? Um, rock and roll at church. Blasphemy, I know. I know. I know. I had a solid entrance into heaven until that last, uh, when I played that pentatonic scale. Thank you, Steve Holding, Jeremy Hines, Carrie Musgrave, Alicia Crowfoot, Julian here, Jackie T, Jackie T girl, thank you so much, Allison Flynn, Mr. White, Gareth Turner, Jen Brew, The Pious, Jason Reed, Angie A, Eric C, Flat Earth Vegans, Rachel Whitaker, Stella and Krupa, Andrew Mason, Antonio, Antonio, <laughs> Antonio, Antonio, Andrade, how about that? Ooh, my, my mouth is working this morning. Daniel Hager, Justin, Justin Fletcher, thank you, Justin Fletcher. Got your picture of the metalwork that you're working on. That's very beautiful. I hope you're not planning on sending us that, though, because we have no room. We live in 200 square feet or something, and so anyway, but awesome work. Thank you so much for the email. Small Axe, J.M. Grassi, Blair Murphy, Joseph Fafard, Whiskey, Ron and Linda, Deborah, Stille, all the members of the Academy and all the pre-sale orders. Just so you guys know, this is being shipped out. Um, this is being shipped out right now. In fact, people will probably get it this week, I'm, I'm assuming, something like that. So anybody that did order pre-sale, it is on its way. So thank you for that. I really appreciate everybody that did uh, order the pre-sale. So thank you so much. Um, all right, we got 60 watching. 60, there should be 666 watching. So thanks to everybody that signs up at the Academy, all the donations, anybody that bought a book. I really appreciate it. This prayer that we're going to do comes from Angers, my brother, Angers. Thank you for this one. It's a good one. So let's do it. Lord, as the difficulties of life pile up on me, I know that I need your strength. I thank you for being present in the challenging times. Please give me the endurance I need each day, and please use this time to grow me in your wisdom and strength. Through this season, make me more into the person that you have made me to be. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Boom. Boom. Pretty good one there. Thank you, Angers. Thank you, my brother. Okay, so today we're going to get back on the horse, and we're going to start doing the chapters of Matthew. So we started, and we did... Um, where does Marty live nowadays? Wisconsin? Yes. Probably not Not for long, though. We're going to look for land in Missouri, and it's looking pretty promising, so we'll see, though. 
Um, so we did the first two chapters of Matthew, Matthew, um, in the New Testament, of course. We did one and two, and so now we're going to continue on with three. So we did one and two, and then we did a whole bunch of stuff in between. We looked at like the Kabbalistic, you know, the, the, the Christmas tree and the Kabbalistic tree of life, and we looked at the Cherokee story of creation, and then I talked about me a lot last week, and we did an introduction to the church. So it's been a while since we've got back into Matthew, so I'm going to do a little review of just some of the things that were covered in one and two and then we'll get into this uh, this chapter. Before we do that, I want to say a few things, though, um, just before we get going here. Uh, first and foremost, thank you to anybody that's purchased rosary packages. Um, we were putting them together the other day. We sent out like four more, and it was just, it was, we had, I had this moment where I was just like, I don't know, it was just pretty crazy because we had just ordered Bibles and, you know, not many, like 10 or, I think 10 or 20 or something like that in mid-November, and then we're already ordering more in December. And so I was just this moment, I was like, we have to order more Bibles? Like, we're, you know, um, it's not like we make a ton of money on this or anything like that, but it's just so awesome that we're like getting, you know, I had no idea I'd ever be in the position that I'd be like putting Bibles in people's hands and things like that. It was just pretty amazing that it's like, this is the work now is like actually teaching people the Holy Bible and stuff like that. And there was just this moment where I was like, you know, I never thought I'd ever do anything like this. And I don't know, it just kind of hit me. It's just really cool that we're, you know, we had to order more, you know, I didn't even think that this would sell that many or whatever, but people really enjoy it and they like the Bibles and that's really cool. And it just made me think of, I've been talking a lot about my uh, Mary Monica, my great aunt, who is a nun. And I could just imagine how impressed she would probably be with me. The, the fact that it's like, oh, honey, you're, you know, you're spreading the word of God and you know, you're getting Bibles into people's hands. I'm so proud of you. I could just imagine she'd be proud. I'm sure she probably wouldn't like the cursing though. She'd probably be like, honey, I'm so proud of you, but could you, could you keep the F-bombs down a little bit, you know? So anyway, I just want to say the people that have bought the Bibles and, and the rosary packages and stuff like that, it's, it's so cool that we're getting these into the hands of people. Um, it's awesome. Uh, I really appreciate everybody that does buy them and I hope you do enjoy them. So Jennifer is just, she ended up just making another, I don't know, eight rosaries or something like that the other day, just because it's been, you know, it's been quite busy. So that's good. So thank you for that. Um, it's just a few more things I want to say before we get into Matthew chapter three. This is going to be good. Only 17 verses. This one will go by pretty quick, but there's a lot to chew on. There's some tasty morsels there. I also want to say this, and this is sort of a message to myself, actually. A lot of this stuff is, by the way. By the way, most of the time when I'm preaching, I'm usually just doing this as a reminder to myself. It's really not for you guys. A lot of times I just get on here to be like, oh, I got to do this and this and this. So anyway, I'm trying to learn to be kind to everyone because everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Um, I've just, I don't want to get into specifics or anything like that, but there's just been a bunch of instances lately where I've realized, where I just realized and seen very clearly that people were making a judgment about somebody's life or assuming things and they had never walked in their shoes. They had no idea what it took in this person's life to get them into the position that they're in and then to, then to judge that person because they're not awake or whatever it is, or they didn't, you know, maybe they made a bunch of mistakes and now you're chastising for the sins that they've made, knowing that they've already repented for those things, knowing that they've already been like, God dang it, I made all those mistakes. Like you have to realize that everybody's on their own sort of souls, their own soul's journey and that you really have to give people space and, and that sort of thing to, um, not only just, you know, grow and evolve and, and that sort of thing, but you, you know, uh, you just have to, you know, it's that whole thing like walking another person's shoes, a mile in another person's shoes. I don't think we do that enough. 
And uh, so just as a reminder, you know, like I said, main, mainly a reminder to me, you know, um, I know this one person was this, the, this, somebody was getting on this guy because uh, a friend of mine and because like he just doesn't necessarily have his life completely together and he really want you know he basically went down this road where he was like super libtarded and basic you know was like yeah abortion's good and you know went that whole road found out it was all nonsense has retracted his comeback late in life and been like jesus i went down the road terrible road for like 30 years and now you know now i'm in where i'm i'm in the position i'm in and i wish i things were different and then somebody has come along and been like well why didn't why isn't your life in a better position and you know this guy essentially just woke up and so uh anyway it's just a little reminder that um a lot of times we just you know we forget that this is this is what earth is it's everybody's on their own little soul's journey and everybody's in a different position and place so you know uh just know that i also want to say one other thing and then i promise we'll get into matthew uh chapter three here somebody had recently messaged me and maybe i don't know if i pissed him off or not but I, I don't think I did, but maybe I did. I don't know. It's hard to tell these days. Anyway, he he had just um, essentially found God. Like he basically he was excited, and he was and he has been going around telling lots of people, you know. And he was like, basically, I've been, you know, he found the church and has been watching the videos and has basically just come into his own now, right? An awakening, right? A genuine awakening. And so he's super excited and he's filled with energy and he wants to tell everybody. And he's got that passion at heart. His heart is on fire. He's divinely inspired right now because he's seen truth. Just like many people were when, you know, they came across whatever it was, flat earth or whatever, you know, thing you went down. And you get lit and you want to tell everybody. And so he called me and he was all excited and he wanted to tell somebody. And of course, I was there to listen because, you know, I, I was there too. In fact, I I got a chance to call my, my own mother. And she at least was kind enough and, you know, loves me enough to actually sit there and listen, you know. I was like, Mom, I freaking I believe God. She's like, I'm so happy for you, you know. It's good to have somebody there to listen. Anyway, the point is, is this guy is just full of piss and vinegar and fire. You know, he's divinely inspired and he's going around. He wants to tell everybody. And, you know, uh, I, I actually heard Christopher Gardner say something uh, about this, about how, like, he had a moment like this in his life and his wife came to him and, and he she just said to him, she's like, Look, you're, you don't have any credibility to anybody. No one even knows who you are. So if you come up to somebody and start ranting and raving about something, you're immediately going to, they're immediately going to shut you off, right? So this guy called me and he was, he was all excited and he wanted to, you know, wanted somebody to talk to. Of course, I was there and he wanted to, you know, that sort of thing. And he asked for advice. And I said, well, I don't give advice. I, and that's, I just don't. I just, you know, I teach what I teach. I preach what I preach. I, 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 uh, try to instill what I've learned along the way and, and put it into your lap, but I don't tell people what to do. I try not to give advice. I just say, look, this is what's worked for me, blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, but I said, it's like, look, you have a, when, when you get to some sort of awakening or realization, right, there's sort of a responsibility that you have that comes with it as well, right? Hence, one of the reasons that we do the church here. It's like, oh, I've got all this, this knowledge and this perspective and experience and, you know, direct experience with the other, if you will, and I have a responsibility now to at least share that with people that want to hear, right? And, you know, when that first happened, that was a freaking flame, man. The thing was on fire, you know? And so the only thing I said is like, okay, you have to tend to that fire now. Now that you're divinely inspired and you got that flame, you don't let it, don't just, you know, you don't go burn down the forest, you know, use that to go light other candles, which means you have to learn how to control that fire, right? It's like when I play guitar live, one of the things I would always do is I have this, this is, it's just 
what a little diatribe I'm going on under here, but when I play guitar live, I would have this thing like turned up, right? So the amp was just hot, right? When I turned this thing on, it was like, woo, it would start feeding back and all this other shit. I wanted this thing alive. I wanted this thing to be like it was constantly on fire. So when I played it, I was constantly having to like tame it like it was a freaking animal, right? Because I, because I knew that it was like, that was the, I don't know, it was just like the best way to get the, you know, the thing to really sing and all that sort of stuff. So, um, who is calling? Do not call. So anyway, you have, once, once you get in divinely inspired like that, that's a flame and you have to learn to tend that flame. And so the only thing I could tell that guy was like, don't go burn down the forest now that you got the spirit of God within you, you know, you, you learn how to manage that now, learn how to manage it so you can go light the other candles. Okay. So the, the metaphor that I, I gave is like, earn your merit badges. Okay. This is what we do here, okay? When I teach numbers or when I teach symbolism or when I teach psychology or philosophy or comparative mythology or star study, all of those things, every facet and every topic that we teach here, okay, is I specifically go into that topic as a way to... Um, mean like that topic the only thing that that is there for is so that i can teach god better to people do you know what i mean like i went and earned my merit badges in psychology and and philosophy and and symbolism and star study and things like that so i could be a better teacher for god see what i mean so if you if you do get that flaming heart of Jesus, right? If you have a moment and you're divinely inspired and you're like, yes, I see the truth now. I want to live in truth. I want to, I want to exemplify that truth. I want to tell it to the world and stuff like that. You have to learn how to handle that flame. Okay. You don't want to burn down the forest. You want to light the candles. Okay. So that's what we're, that's what this whole channel, this is what this whole academy is all about to earn your merit badges, you know? So you can, I got the merit badge in number symbolism and I got one in, you know, they got the Kabbalah and I got one in symbolism here and I got one in, you know, a star study here and I got one in, you know, biblical this and blah, 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 right? That's what we're here to do. That's what I'm trying to do, okay? So if you, so, you know, because we all are searching for this, but we, we also have to prepare ourselves in order to receive it and then once we receive it, know what to do with it, okay? Okay, that's all I wanted to say. I just got a few messages that I wanted to address that. So let's jump into it. Thank you very much. Let's do chapter Thrizzle, okay? We're going to do St. Uh, Matthew here. Let's do this. Oh, this is one more thing I want to say. I almost, I, the whole thing was going to lead up to this and then I forgot it. You know, ultimately, an artist or a theologian or anybody that's trying to bring truth to the table for people so that they can take big bites out of that and live more in alignment with the will of God and that sort of thing. Ultimately, I call it, I, I say it like this, like you're a stenographer for the Lord. Ultimately, you're there to listen and then do the best you possibly can to dictate that truth to others. Now, there's all sorts of issues that people have, like, you you know, your own what you've learned along the way, how many merit badges did you earn, that sort of thing. How long have you been doing this? How long have you been listening to God? How good are, are you at dictating? All of those sorts of things come into play. And this is what I mean by earning your merit badges. In order to be a st stenographer for the Lord, you want to hear those messages and be able to relate them in a clear and concise manner, okay? And now I say this all the time, uh, you know, musicians hear melodies in their, their head. They're like, oh, da, 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 da. but when you go to try to play that, a lot of times, even me, after doing this since I was 15, I still go like, 
It's like, no, that's actually not what I was hearing. But I did my best to try to take from the metaphysical into the physical, if you will. So that requires a lot of work, you know, to, to, to um, like I said, earning your merit badges so you can be better at transmitting that higher level of information. And that's, that's really what it's all about. So, okay, let's move on. Matthew chapter three. So chapter one, chapter two, let's do this real quick. Chapter one, we looked at the 42 generations of Jesus Christ. We said, why 42? Why are those 42 generations split into 314? We found pi in where, uh, with the number 42, right? Uh, Abraham to David, David to Babylon, Babylon to Christ. 14 generations, 14 generations, and 14 generations being 314. 314 pi, 13, 14, and 15 in the number line. We received, you know, uh, that's where we established pi. So, First chapter, we're given a whole bunch of math, right? We've related that to pi. We related that to the Vesca Pisces. We related that to the square root of three. We found the mathematics encoded within all of that. We actually found pi encoded within the 42 generations of Jesus Christ. That led to Emmanuel. Then we were like, who's Emmanuel? Then we figured out, hey, that's God within us. Okay. Jesus was born. Prophecy is, you know, to, to be fulfilled, that whole thing. Chapter two, what happens? Of course, Jesus, they see a star in the east. They come to worship him. The three magi, they bring him gifts, that whole thing. Then, uh, of course, King Herod wants to kill, you know, Jesus, lies about the whole thing. He's like, bring me this child so I can worship him. Then he commits genocide and all the children under two, right? We know. So this is essentially what's happened to bring us into chapter three now, okay? So now we've got St. Gianni boy and Jesus, and they're out in the wilderness and they're preaching. And so that's where we're going to pick up from here. And so this week we'll do chapter three. Next week we'll do chapter four. So, okay. Let's go. Matthew 3, 1. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's stop there. Okay. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness. When we pick up the Bible... A lot of the, a lot of what you'll hear in like uh, debate circles and stuff like that, and, and especially within the Orthodox community, if you go over to that show like The Crucible and stuff like that, they'll all they'll talk about presuppositions a lot. Like, what's your presupposition? They have a presupposition when they come to the Bible. Okay. Well, and this is basically the foundation upon which you build your house. Essentially, it's just you're making your foundation, and then you're going to build the house from this foundation. Essentially, what it is. And everybody has some sort of presuppositions, whether they're false or not. So there are pre, so most. People's presupposition when they come to the Bible presupposing is that this is a history book, that this is a document of some sort of linear history, that it's some sort of tale about that. Now, as Gnostics, we don't come to it with that presupposition. We don't come to it with as this is like a history book. We come to it with the saying that, uh, well, actually, this is um, alchemical, astrotheological, symbolic, allegorical, parabolic, and Kabbalistic. So, we come to this Bible with that foundation. Why? Well, as as we covered in the in the um, introduction to the Gnostic Church, right? As we covered there, that's the tradition in which the the mystery tradition views the Bible. Then we even go into the classic methods in which to deconstruct the Bible. And you find out that like the Orthodox tradition, Kabbalistic traditions, they do the same thing. They go to that anagogic, that there's a, there's a mystical and occult meaning, okay? So we start with the presupposition that this thing is astro-theological. It's a representation of the stars in one way. So when we read this, 
the natural thing to do would be to say, whatever is going on in here, we need to correlate what's going on literally in the heavens that are above us, that shrouds the entire canopy of earth, right? The canopy that shrouds the entire earth. So if starting at there, when we say in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Now the wilderness, they're specifically speaking about the stars. It's the definition of wilderness. It's a tractor region uncultivated and uninhabited by human beings. We know that upstairs is the metaphysical. It's literally beyond the physical. No human being in the flesh can go up there according to the Bible. So by very definition, the, the canopy of the stars above, the celestial realms, is, is the wilderness. It's a tractor region uncultivated and uninhabited by human beings, an area un essentially undisturbed by human activity. So this, the stars above, is the wilderness. This is what they're referencing. This is divine poetry. Every single word, just like in a poem, the meaning, the meaning, the levels of meaning behind these things is so rich and, and deep. Now, most people just, just like I said, most fundamentalists, whatever, they'll just read them. It's like, oh, okay, wilderness. It's like, no, they're telling you where the story's taking place. So John's up in the wilderness. He's upstairs in the canopy of the stars, preaching of the wilderness of Judea. So in the wilderness, this is once again, Moses lifting his serpent up in the wilderness. He's lifting his serpent up in the wilderness. Was he just in the woods and grabbed a freaking rattlesnake and a couple pieces of wood and be like, yes, this is, now I'm divine or some, like what? No, highly poetic, highly charged language, incredibly symbolic and, sp and pointing to very specific things in your living world. So he was preaching in the wilderness of Judea of Judea. Let's look at Judea. Now, we're going to look at this phonetically. We're going to look at the phonology of it, okay? Judea. Judea. Okay? So he's in the he's in the wilderness preaching uh, it, it, well, I was going to say this, sorry. Uh wilderness of Judea. Okay. Jew is a precious stone. It's a gem. That's what it means. That's what a Jew. That's what hence where the root of the word jewel. It's a precious stone. Day comes from light. It's the Latin light. Uh, it's also die means day, which is um, you know, day is when light is. Of course, when the day rise, when the sun rises, that's day. Uh, day in Latin is die, and die is a cube. That's a, that's the singular cube. That's what this whole thing is based on. Right down there, that whole cipher thing, all based on the cube. So Jew day ah ah is a is a vowel of elation. It's ah, like when you see no ah right. No, what does it mean to know? Gnostic. Ah. That's what it is. That's what vowels are. They're an expression and elation of God. Okay? Ah, oh, e, ah, that sort of thing, right? The day is the die is the cube. That's the three dimensions of. <laughs> that's what it's like in the zoo. Just dog puke and. Also. Anyway, so this is this, uh, the six directions of space resting on the center. So this is highly, once again, highly symbolic when they're saying they're in the wilderness in the days, uh, in the wilderness of Judea, the wilderness, and then they're pointing to the human being. They're pointing to the mathematics of the human being right here. Jew, precious stone, a gem. New Testament says a Jew is the one who is inward. In fact, I think that says it in John. Day is your light, your die, the light within you. Death and resurrection, the cube. Ah, now, and so this is your Judea. Okay, now, 
I just picked apart this thing phonetically. Now people have a problem with this, okay? And we're gonna address this right now. When you say like, oh, like, and I've, uh, people have even made fun of the fact that I've said Matthew, as if that's a representation of math and you. Phonetically it is. How do you say Matthew? Math, you. When we look at Emmanuel, E-man-u-l. L is absolutely a phonetic for God. U is absolutely the phonetic for you. And man is absolutely the phonetic, you know, the sound for man, okay? Now, people have a problem with this because you're taking apart in English the phonetics and then relating those phonetics to, you know, certain things, right? So, for instance, L. Well, relating that to God because that's a phonetic of God. People have a problem with this. Be like, well, now you're just playing with words and stuff like that. No, not at all. In fact, you cannot even possibly, and let me make this very clear, there is no way you could possibly understand the biblical stories unless you apply phonology to this. And Jacob Law actually mentioned this, I think, a couple live streams ago, so thank you, Mr. Law. Um, phonology is uber, uber important in the biblical stories in order to understand what is being referred to, Okay. Let me give you another example. The Son and Son of God. When they say, oh, my only begotten Son, as we'll read it in here, my beloved Son, right? And that's S-O-N. Now, phonetically, if I said to you, Son, and I didn't tell you what, what I was saying, we'd be like, well, are you saying like a son, like a like you know, dad had a son, dad, you know, or are you talking about the sun in the sky, S-U-N? This is, this is how they connect different ideas phonologically. Is that how you say that? Using phonetics. Okay, now some people will say, this is just playing with language and stuff like that. And then immediately they'll say, well that, do well, that doesn't work in Greek, or that doesn't work in Italian, or that doesn't work in Latin or whatever. And my first thing is that, are we speak, you know, the first criticism I'll have about that is, that, are we speaking Latin? Are we speaking Greek now? No, we're not. Are we speaking Italian now? No, are we speaking Russian? No, we're speaking English. Our language is an encoded language. Our language is a, in, in, as far as I can tell, it is an absolutely perfected structure in which a, a, a medium in which we're, we can use to communicate our entire world to one another. This language is highly divine. And once again, our tradition, my tradition talks about that and writes about that. So when we pick out, you know, phonetics and things like that and connect stuff like this in the Bible, this is a long-standing method that po poets have used for generations when they'll use wordplay or trickery and stuff like that to, to, to literally conceal a deeper meaning. This is poetry. This is how it's done. And so when we look at the Bible, I'm saying the exact same thing is happening. Okay? There's no way you can find the deeper meanings unless you go into the etymology, unless you go into the phonetics. Okay? Um, let, me, let me give you just a few reasons why this is so important. When I say Matthew, right? When we say, and then people have laughed about this, like, oh, they think it's about math and you, like, what a bunch of idiots kind of thing. That's exactly what it's about. And the oh, and and when people look at that and they make fun of it, what they're doing is looking at the looking at the foundation of our language and laughing it off. The poetry and mysticism and divinity of our language and laughing it off. William Shakespeare is credited. Now, William Shakespeare may have been, who knows if he was an actual real dude. Caveat here, little asterism. Who knows if he was an actual real dude. Chances are he was probably a, a you know, a, whatever, a group of writers or whatever, right? That was actually writing under the pseudonym of, of uh, w Willie right there. William Shakespeare is credited with the invention and introduction of over 1,700 words. Now, I've heard up to 2,500 words. Either way, there's no question that this dude or this guild of writers, secret occult writers, whoever they were, John D., who knows? Nobody knows. 
whoever it was, it was well known that they have contributed roughly about 2,000 words that are st in our English language that are still in use today. A poet, a po one of the greatest poets of all time, mind you, at least right according to our literary history, a poet contributed roughly 1,700 words to our language. Then when we say, hey, maybe our language is poetic, and they say, and they could deconstruct it phonologically, and people say, no, that's retarded. I would say you have zero foundation for your argument. Literally none. Zero. A poet gave us a whole spectrum of our words. Then you look, go and look at the magic of our alphabet. Why is ocean and canoe anagrams for one another? Canoe? Like K-N-K-A-N-U-U? -U. Is that how you spell canoe? No, it's C-A-N-O-E. Because that pho phonologically makes sense. It doesn't make sense at all. <laughs> Why canoe is ocean? How about listen and silent? How about that one? Those are anagrams for one another. Right? All of these little tricks in our language that go completely missed, completely blown off as anybody when anybody actually brings some legitimacy to that study. This is phonology. So the people that are denying that, oh, the S-O-N and S-U-N could have a connection. Or no, ah, meaning like literally to know God, ah, ah, that's ridiculous. Let it be ridiculous. This is the foundation of our language. This dude, he's one of the greatest poets of all time. I got this book in Hawaii when we moved there, and it's called Voices of Eden. And they were, they were the, the settlers that were going to Hawaii. They were going there, and they were, um, <sighs> keep, what is it? No, he was a real dude. Maybe, I don't know. No one can know that. When everybody, whenever, like, Francis Bacon, yeah, like, this all speculation, just so you guys know. I'm speculating, you're speculating, you'd have to go back in history and figure it out, which you can't do that. You know, once again, as like a, a Gnostic, I just am just honest about that. That's it. Like, you can't go back into history and verify literally anything in history. So I'm just going to acknowledge that, you know. Was he a real dude? Who knows? Who knows? Um, anyway, when we moved to Hawaii, Voices of Eden was this book that I picked up. And they was talking about the settlers that went there that tried to develop a language for the Polynesian people that were there. And so they, they had some basically terms in which they were going to build this language, a system that would be understood by the scientific community in Europe. So they used the, the Latin characters or the, you know, whatever, the ABC, just as we have. One that would help uh, the Hawaiian people learn English. One that would give the readers equal access to books printed in Tahitian so that they would get these books, translate them into English so everybody could learn. And so basically, um, an underlying goal occasionally stated explicitly was that the alphabet was easy to learn and use correctly. And I think there's only 13 letters in the Hawaiian alphabet. But when they were developing this, this alphabet for the Hawaiian people, the people that developed the language listened to the phonetics, used the phonetics, and then placed letters on those phonetics. This is how they, this is how they developed it. So the foundation upon which the Hawaiian alphabet was formed was based on phonology. A, a subject and study that most people blow off because they think it's tinfoil hat, stupid connection, wordplay, blah, 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 blah. That's ridiculous. It's like the most uh, like insane, ig insanely ignorant position you could possibly take when speaking about language. And it's like, that's the standard. It's nuts. The acquisition of the language is still and must be for a long time an object demanding much of our attention. We have not yet agreed upon an alphabet with which to write it. It is most probable that we should adopt as the basis the foreign sounds of the vowels and with the Roman character follow as nearly as convenient the plan pursued in reducing to form the language of 
whatever. It said, we ask your deliberate advice on the subject, and if you can send us any books in the Otahitian tongues or on the subject of phonology, you would contribute important aid in this difficult business. Let me do some math with you and add this to your donations. Thank you, Andrew Masonette. So, so as they were developing this, they're like, hey, if you could send any books on phonology, that would help us out immensely. So this is what I mean. I don't mean to harp on this too much, but when we do Matthew and we break apart Jesus and, um, you know, the Emmanuel, the Son of God, Noah, all of those sorts of things, Matthew, when we do that, it's not like some willy-nilly, I'm just like picking shit out of thin air and be like, oh, I'm going to make this connection. It's based on the things that the, that the book is actually addressing. So Matthew, the first chapter in the New Testament, the first thing it does is tell you about math. 42 generations, even breaks up that math. Then it tells you about the Vescopisis, gives you the specific measurements of the Vescopisis, tells you about the square root of three, gives you the next chapter, gives you the mathematics of the literally the period of the sun. So much of this stuff is brought forward by phonology, breaking, understanding what's being mentioned here. Why, would, why are we giving Jesus the representation of the sun? Because the writers are telling you to do so. They're doing it through poetry, and it's completely lost. The ears that are supposed to be hearing the word have been tuned, turned off. And that's what's going on. And hence why no one can make sense of this. Because they've, once again, as I always say, they abandon the tools in which to deconstruct it properly. That was one. All right, 940. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Why Judea points to the human being. So now he's upstairs and it's pointing to the human being. Are we talking about the Zodiac man again? Exactly what we talk about all the time. That we are the microcosm of the macrocosm. And this is what this whole thing is about. Every single line is, is literally there to tell you, guess where God is? Guess where this whole thing is? When you look out, you're literally looking at yourself, in other words. Okay? In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye. Repent ye. What does it mean to repent? What is repentance ultimately? It's looking at all the times that you were going against not only the small, still voice in your heart, right? Going against the will of God, doing things that you knew were the wrong thing to do. Or if you were doing things unconsciously, you were, you know, like, and then you recognize that they were doing things unconsciously, you know, to recognize that, like say, oh, I was doing things unconsciously. I was being a shit bag. Going through all those times in your life, which you had the, the regrets, you did the, you, you lied or whatever it was, you were off the course. You were not doing the will of God, recognizing that, owning up to it 100%, owning up to it 111%. And nobody like, well, you know, like, I'm just, I'll apologize, like, 88%. No, no, it's nothing like that. When you go up to, across the gates of death, and you go and stand before God, there is no, like, well, I get an excuse here, and things like that. Nope, there's none of that. You're going to have to address God directly and say, look, this is what I do with my life, and I've got no excuses. So they're saying, repent now. Do it here. Do it here. When you're in the vessel, be like, yeah, okay. So I get, I'm going to get all my ducks in a row. I'm going to get everything in order and be straight and honest and truthful and live that, that you know, redeeming, redeemful or redeeming life. You know what I mean? The righteous life. Repent for all those things that you, that you got wrong. You were not living in the way. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does this mean? As we know, this is highly, once again, poetry. This is not just saying that, hey, Jesus is here. He showed up. The kingdom of heaven is here at hand. Once again, highly charged poetic language. Highly charged poetic language. Um, 
At hand means nearby, readily accessible when needed. Close in time, about to happen. So this book, you could pick this book up at any time. Read chapter 3 and be like, oh, Kingdom of Heaven is at hand. Put it down, put it away, come back an hour, pick it up, and guess what? Kingdom of Heaven is at hand. It's nearby. It's readily accessible. It's right here. They're literally telling you that, they're trying to point to you that, look, this thing right here is a template. This hand that you're made in the image of God is a template for universal mathematics. And this is why we've, and we'll do a whole live stream on this probably pretty soon, actually, the alchemical hand of the mysteries. And we'll cover what all this stuff is. Why is there a key and a sun and a star and the moon and a crown and the hand and the fish and all that? We'll cover all of that, what, you know, what that means. This is the alchemical hand of the mystery. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. They're pointing to highly, highly charged, once again, uh, rich, uh, I would say, uh, antiquated alchemical symbolism within the Bible right now. The kingdom of heaven is right here. It's literally telling you that all that stuff up there ultimately is reflected in here. And this is the la this is the language that they're using. This is the once again look down at the bottom there. It's like when people when people ask like where did you get the ideas like counting in the hands and placing all the stuff in the hands? My tradition, Kabbalah. Most people, most Christians look at that and they assume that it's some sort of who knows like the conjuring of demons, or I don't know what it is. But no, that's actually just trying to tell you about the mathematics of your hands. This is a Celtic version of this. Hand of the Mysteries, I look forward to it. Yes. Celtic version of this. There's uh, three gems there, and it leads up to 14. You guys see this? There's two, two serpents, entwined serpents, going up a central staff. This is Celtic. <laughs> it's like this Celtic stuff. What is that, like Hindu or something, right? Lifting serpents up in the wilderness, same sort of ideas. Two serpents, three stones, three precious gems leading up to a hand. And what does the hand have? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14. 14 phalanges. There's three gems and 14 phalanges. 314, 314, 314, 314, 314. What was Matthew chapter one? Three 14s. It's like the Celts and the new people of the New Testament were all trying to say the same thing. They're trying to tell you where, where, where the kingdom of heaven is. Alchemical hand of the mysteries right there. We've also talked about, once again, the importance of the phalanges. I just counted them. How that's, you know, that's the triangulation of the number seven there. There's all sorts of things we can do with the hands. When they say the kingdom of heaven is at hand, this is not, most people just read this, be like, this is history and Jesus showed up and that's it. That's it. No, 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 no. They're trying to literally unveil the entire spiritual realms in front of you in these words and put it right in front of you. Genesis, of course. This is, I know, this is review for a lot of people, but Genesis, 10, 10 fingers, 28 phalanges. You can fit Genesis 1-1 in English and in Hebrew on your hands. Once again, a bunch of coincidences. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Once again, when we understand this is divine poetry, then we can read it as divine poetry and recognize that that divine poetry is riddled with scientific principles. That's, that's what makes this thing such a gem, meaning the Holy Bible. You can use your hand to, cl to clock the sun. <laughs> you know, we've shown this before. Put your hand out, literally your fingers, you know, roughly represent the minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, one hour. It's, you're, you're perfect. That's what it's saying. You got the kingdom of heaven riddled all through you. 
You can measure the heavens with your hand. Why didn't the schools teach us this? Why didn't I learn this in high school? I didn't learn how to balance a checkbook or do my taxes. I didn't learn how to count on my phalanges. I learned nothing. I learned a lot about white people being bad, though. <laughs> okay. Did you know there's a multiplication table on your hands as well? I covered this in Lord Jesus Christ. That's just one of the one of the maths. There's a whole bunch of math that you can do on your hands. Tons of like the Indian children still learn it. I've covered this before. This is what I mean when they say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They're pointing all of this stuff. The ratio of phi is, once again, I've covered this before, is all over your hand. So when the Bible is saying at hand, this is the canon of information that they're pointing to. So that you could see this. So not just so this is some nice philosophy and theology that just roams around randomly in your imagination that sounds nice. No. No, no, no. They're like at hand. Uh, measure the sun. Here's God's fingerprint in the ratio of phi. Here's a mathematical table. Here you could put Genesis 1-1 on it. Here's all of these things, right? Right there for you. Pi. We could find pi. It was like, oh, let's see. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, uh, 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14. What is, what is it? Anyway, don't want to get into that. So all of these things, that's what it's pointing to in this one phrase. Like just beg, practically begging you to unearth the poetry behind the lines. Okay? Let's move on. I'm Vietnamese. The word for five also means year and man. Is it really interesting? You know, when you say like something is quintessential, like quinta, right? La quinta. Have you ever stayed at the La Quinta in Oakland, California? Don't. So... Uh, unless you want to hear people in the next room doing cocaine and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Anyway, back to the, back to the live stream. Like quintessential quinta means like five. So anyway, so let's move on. Let's move on. Uh, three, three for this. Oh, so here's John the Baptist in the wilderness. Come and repent. Uh, for this is he that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah, um, saying the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. What is the voice of one? It's the word. There's one voice. There's As we teach, there's one God, one spirit, one church, one baptism, one faith, one everything, one Lord, the whole bit. One. Oneness, right? There's one voice. In the beginning, uh, God said, let there be light. That's the voice. It is the word of God that literally reverberates through all things. Okay? This is the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Crying out across the heavens. Saying, ultimately what? Basically, this is a universal statement, in other words. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. There's just this, once again, we always talk about the straight and narrow way. We'll talk about where that is, where that goes. So, that is, um, let's see, Isaiah. Let's talk about this really quick before we get into this. Isaiah, so the prophecies in, where am I? Sorry, sorry. So, the prophecies in the Old Testament, they call them Isaiah, Isaiah. Um, basically says, foretold many things. So Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would come. Isaiah wrote that a son would be given to us, called Emmanuel, which is God with us. That happened. This child would eat, uh, this child would eat curds and honey, and et cetera, et cetera. Isaiah said God's son would be despised, afflicted, and oppressed by many people. Of course he was. At Jesus Christ's second coming, there's all this sort of thing. So basically, once again, what the Bible is doing, and if you went to chapter two, again, it's like they're just reiterating. They're, they're, they, they put all of these verses in to make sure that you recognize that, look, the prophecy of the Old Testament is being fulfilled here. Okay, that's what's essentially happening. It's like Isaiah said this, and now it's coming true. And who's it coming true with? Jesus Christ, right? 
and the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? So we hear this all over, but Matthew 3, 2, Matthew 4, 17, 10, 7. We'll hear this again. Of course, we read it in when we did Mark. Um, this, you know, it's so interesting. We talk about the kingdom of heaven within. They constantly talk about this in the Bible, right? That basically the, there's, you go within, you shut the door, you go into the closet, you shut the door, you go into that dark place. That's where you have your experience with God is a personal experience. Learning and preparing together. Thank you for this safe, exciting space to explore and grow. Ben and Stella. Thank you, Stella. So um, you constantly, they constantly reiterate it, that if you want the Gnostic experience, you have to go within. You have to go within. This is Jesus just, just, you know, lambasting, lambasting, is that how you say that? The Pharisees. And what does he say? This is Matthew 23, 13. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that that are going in, entering to go in. So what is it saying? You don't even, you don't go in yourselves. And then when people that are going in within themselves, you know, you, you put up a fuss, in other words. You try, to, you try to prevent it. So this is Christ, red letter saying, hey, the kingdom of heaven is within. Once again, Luke 17, 21, neither shall they say, lo here, lo there, for behold, the kingdom of heaven is within. All Once again, oh, it's all over here. It's in history. It's 2,000 years ago. It's blah, 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 blah. And Jesus is saying, no, forget all of that. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You can, there's a mathematical multiplication table with this. You can see the fingerprint of phi and the fingerprint of God and phi on your hand. You know, you can use it to literally measure, you know, track the sun throughout the day. So, um, the voice of the Lord, the word. And the same John had his raiments of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Now we've already we've already ventured into this verse, and we'll we'll revisit this. Okay, so uh, so in the wilderness, king of heaven, Isaiah. I was like, yes, this is going to happen. And then all of a sudden, now we're hearing about John and what he's wearing and what he's eating, because this seems to be extremely important information when it comes to your spiritual path. When it comes to understanding your salvation, it becomes very quintessential to understand the garments that St. John was wearing and what he was eating that day. No, actually, it doesn't at all. What is the point of, in the middle of this, out of all the information that they could have bestowed upon us as readers of the Holy, of the Holy Bible, right? Out of, like, oh, did John have any sisters or any brothers? What was his mother's name? When was he born? You know, uh, when did he die? You know, all the, all the things that we could hear about John. And this is what they tell us. Raiments of camel's hair, leather and girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Okay? And so he's, this is what they tell us. He's in the wilderness eating wild honey and locusts. And so is he part of, you know, he ordered, St. Johnny Boy ordered the Eat the Bugs platter. That's what he ordered. He ordered the, the Klaus Schwab special. So, like, no, obviously that's, you know, uh, like eating locusts. Like, by the way, it's John, you know, what a badass in the wilderness there, right? Like he's like, apparently he's wearing camel's hair. So he like, with his own bare hands, like killed a camel and then like, you know, wore that and then went, reached his hand into some like beehive and grabbed the honey and then went and ca- caught a bunch of locusts and fried them up in a freaking skillet. Some nice wild honey drizzled over that. You can just imagine. So it doesn't make any sense. This is what just smack in the middle of nowhere gives you all this information for no reason whatsoever. Once again, when you start with the presupposition though, the, the presupposition that this thing right here, this Bible, wherever it is, 
is a book of the stars, then we can make complete sense of this verse. Doesn't require us to believe that Johnny Boy is some badass in the wilderness. You know, Bear Grylls eat your heart out, by the way. Those guys in the wilderness, like, killing camels and, like, you know, tanning the hide and eating wild honey. So when we start with that this is celestial, we can just point what all this stuff out, what all this stuff is, right? So uh, the girdle about his loins is Orion's belt. That's exactly what Orion is wearing, is a big girdle. It's, the Orion's belt is one of the most noticeable asterisms in the sky, of course. Um, he was wearing camel's hair, right? Uh, this is from Camel the Pardalis. It's literally a camel, a leopard, in the form of a giraffe. Uh, Lacerta comes from locusts. Literally, the word is a root in the word locusts. And then the wild honey comes from the asterism of the beehive in Cancer. So this is celestial markings. That's what they're giving you. Okay, there's no reason that the biblical authors would have any, there's no reason to be like, I really need to know what John, what was in Johnny Boy's stomach. No, how is that helping my spiritual quest at all? It's not, unless it's telling you where to go in the heavens. Now, what's so interesting about all of these constellations? When you look at them as, as a combined, like when you say John was doing this, he had this, and he was eating this and had this and wore this and that sort of thing. It's all pointing to the center. It's all pointing to Polaris. It's all surrounding Polaris there. Um, why is it significant that these four constellations are mentioned? What we will find time and time again throughout our astro astrological sojourn into the Bible is that the underpinning message behind all of these stories is one and the same. Man's search for light is to find that light centered within him. All of these things are revolved around the center. What's the, what's the allegory that we take from it? What's the celestial allegory? To find the center within you. As God has centered himself in all things, he also put the story of our journey to the center in the sky. This is what John's telling you. God is whose center everywhere and circumference nowhere, goes the old saying. God wishes us to find him centered within us, and he has put this story about our quest to the center in the heavens. Literally, our entire cosmology is based off our spiritual journey. Everything revolves around the one point from which it all came forth, the one point in which it all came forth, the voice of one in the wilderness. Everything revolves around the one point from which it all came forth. Everything revolves around the Almighty, and this story repeats itself night after night after night after night. And this is what John is doing, and this is what these verses are saying. Camel's hair, girdle about his loins, locusts and wild honey. It's poetry. Subtlety of language. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So, there's St. John in the wilderness. The girdle is Orion's belt. The locust comes from Lacerta, which is grasshopper, locust, lizard, uh, camelopardalis, camel's hair, and the wild honey. So, Liz the Iron Maiden, thank you so much. How are we doing then, Rockfin? Ooh, Rockfin. Ooh, uh, Angie A. Thank you so much, Angie A. I appreciate that. Gareth Turner, thank you so much. Jason Reed, appreciate the support. Appreciate the support, people. Thank you so much. Telegram. Okay, give me a second here and I will do that. Let me get to the end of this here and then we will... Okay, uh, all right. So then, after all this, right? Then went out to him Jerusalem, which is the city of peace, which, by the way, the city of peace in Revelation, the city of God, is the cube. We've covered that many, many times. So when we go back up and we say, oh, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, 
And we see that that's a subtle reference to the cube in phonology. Then we go down a couple lines later and you say, oh, it's the city of peace. Salem, Salom means peace and Jerusalem is basically city. It's the city of peace. Where is the city of peace? Where is this celestial palace in which God lives? And all Judea and all the region round about Jordan. Okay, so what's Jordan? Now, we already know that we are by Orion because we were just talking about the girdle of skin, about his loins of St. Gianni boy. Look at Orion's foot right there, and you can see that there's he's holding up a um, lion right there because he's just crushing. And then to the left, he's got a river flowing away from him, and that's Aradinus, okay? Well, this is, uh, so when they're in the River Jordan here, this is a river in the stars. They went out to him, Jerusalem, and all Judea, and all the region round, all the region round about Jordan. There, Jordan. The region round about Jordan is where Orion is, and that's exactly what they just mentioned, the verse before. The leather girdle, leather and girdle about his loins. Jordan means, so Jordan is, um, it means, the word Jordan is rooted in its original Hebrew, which means to go down or to descend. That's what it means in Hebrew. Since this entire story is happening in the stars, we, ne we need not look very far from the girdle of John's garment to find the constellation Eratinus, which is a river forming right next to Orion's leg, as we saw. This very long constellation starts towards the north, starts in the north where Orion is, and descends or flows down just as the word Jordan describes and is symbolically known as a large river. So what is Aradnus doing in the stars? And I can actually see it last night. Um, barely, but it's starting in the north and it goes down to descend or flow down. What does Jordan mean? To descend or go down. Considering this river behaves just as the Jordan River is defined within its etymology and name meaning, we have yet again a perfect match for what's happening in scripture and what's occurring right above our heads. Jordan is a unique name in both Greek and Hebrew. It means to flow or go down or to descend. The crossing of it is symbolic of death and high flown language as a reference. So basically when you people are crossing, you know, they're baptizing and crossing the river Jordan, what's happening? Death and resurrection. He's saying, come, you repent, repent all your sins, clean yourself, purify yourself, cross, cross in the, baptize yourself in the river, purification, and then guess what? Now you're the clean vessel. Now you're ready to go enter into the joy of the Lord. So this is the constellation Aradnus. So there's uh, Orion there. You can see his foot there. And there is the river, and it's flowing all the way down. It actually flows all the way down to a constellation known as Phoenix. So once we get this, what, what happens with Phoenix? What happens with the Phoenix? The phoenix, what happens? Ashes, and from the ashes arises the phoenix. This is at the southern point. There's actually a constellation Hydrus down there, which is a was the, the form of a triangle, which is fire. But, um, so yeah. So all of this is happening in the stars. And they're giving you all the clues, all the, once again, highly charged, nuanced language in order for you to make the proper connections. So this river is flowing down. When you're baptizing, what you know, when we want to lift ourselves up to the heavens, right? We want to be this pure, clean, spiritual vessel that allows ourselves to lift up to the heavens, correct? That means we have to repent. We have to get rid of all the lies, the half-truths, all the times we were misdirected, blah, 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 all that sort of stuff, right? So we are washing ourselves in the River Jordan, and those sins are flowing down south. So we can lighten ourselves to go north. That's exactly what's happening in this river. 
that's going down. We're washing ourselves in that so we can lift ourselves north. Once again, as we just said, our spiritual rebirth process has been encoded in our cosmology. Got it? Okay, cool. So there's Orion and Aradnus. Okay, now, before we get moving on, let's do a little collection plate, you cheap bastards. Here it is. Show me the money. <laughs> All right. If you would like to donate to the church, you can go to gnosticacademy.org or you can go to what is these app? What are these apps? Uh, buy me a coffee and cash app, and you can support the academy. This uh, church only goes with your support. That's how we stay alive. So we appreciate any support you can give. Thanks to everybody that has purchased a book or purchased um, or become a member or donations, anything like that. Really appreciate it. So go on over there and support your local minister so we can keep this baby up and running. Okay, and thank you all so much. Let me see what what do we have in. Um... Oh, you sent me a... Let me see. Where are you, baby? Oh, there we are. Okay, sorry. Alicia Crawford, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And Jackie T, thank you. Awesome. Okay. Let's keep going. So... So in the River Jordan, to descend or go down, we want to wash our sins through repentance, our sins are going to flow down to the south while we lighten up and go north. And go north to where? What's the opposite of the, the, the south? Obviously the pole star, which is in the north. That's where we're going to be heading. That's where Jesus is going to ascend into. And we're baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. They were purifying themselves. But then Jesus saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, you know, like seduce, to seduce somebody, Right. But when I saw, when he saw uh, many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said to them, he's like, look, I know what you're all about, bros. O generation of vipers who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. <laughs> Talk about calling them out, right? Genera I mean, not mints and freaking words, dude. Generation of vipers. Not just like, you know, generation of vipers. Okay. Snakes. The devil. Right? Oh, the old serpent, the devil. That's who they're mimicking. That's who they're following. And he's calling it out right away. He's like, everybody come. You're all, you're all welcome. Repent. Admit, your, admit the things you've done wrong. Be honest with yourself. Live in integrity and dignity. Right? Cross that river and then you're going to go north. He already, sees them, he already sees the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And he's like, you're not getting in. You're liars. Bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. Bring forth, be ready to repent. And, and then he says, do not think to say within yourselves this. We have Abraham for our father. So these guys are going up to be baptized in the River Jordan to get those, you know, the, the, all their, their the sins to wash down south. But they're coming and they're coming with a what? Hubris. They're like, well, we, we are of, of our father Abraham. So we're already, we're already the chosen. We're all ready to get into heaven. It doesn't matter what we've done in this life. We're coming in, right? Because why? Because we're of the lineage. We're of the tradition. We're of the generation of Mr. Abraham. And so, watch out. Roll the red carpet out for us. And Jesus sees right through this shit. He's like, get your, get your ass out of here, okay? 
Think not to say within yourselves, oh, I'm, I'm cool. I'm, I'm, I'm from the lineage of Abraham. I'm totally getting in heaven. Don't even think of it. Because guess what? The true God is going to come bite you in the ass, is what he's essentially saying. Think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that the God I'm speaking of is able of these stones to raise up children into Abraham. The God I'm speaking of that you actually have to answer to could take these stones and lift those stones up to Abraham. So don't think you're safe because we come with it with the hubris of Abraham. We're of this, you know, we're of the blah, 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 blah. It's, it's not going to, you know, that sort of thing. It's not going to fly with God at all. Cody Van Dyke, $20. Thank you so much. So, making it very clear. So, and now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees, and therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. What's he basically saying? There's people that lived an honest life of integrity, honesty, forthright, charity, love, compassion, lived in truthfulness, fought for what was good, true, and right, recognized their sins, lived in repentance, lived in meditation, all that sort of stuff. Then there's there's those, and then there's not. It's all going to get cut down, and we'll find out what's good and what's not, in other words. That's essentially what's going on. He's separating the wheat from the chaff, and he's about to do that. So, and so, and now the axe is laid unto the root of the tree. And what kind of axe did Jesus use? So if you want a He used the small axe. That's right, to cut down the big tree. That's what I'm saying. You know what I mean? All right. So, um, I indeed, and then he goes on to say, Matthew 3.11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. Okay, they're at the River Jordan. There's water. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Okay, so let's just stop here. So there's two baptisms that, well, um, essentially two baptisms going on, one with fire and the Holy Ghost and one with water, okay? So what's, what's actually going on here? Once again, this is actually pointing to alchemical symbolism, like straight up, straight up. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. What, first off, what is, what is fire and water? What does, what does fire do? Burns, burns things away. Right? So if you got like an old forest that's dying and stuff like that, fire goes through it, what's going to happen? That forest is going to regenerate. What does water do? Why do you take a shower? To wash yourself clean. Regeneration, purity, that sort of stuff. So when we're going through baptism, right, they're baptizing you with fire and water, both for purification. Correct? Okay. Then with the Holy Ghost. We know uh, the Holy Ghost is, once again, in this sense, the spirit of death. Okay? and The spirit of death bringing forth... To kill off, once again, everything about your life that was not truthful. Everything, and anytime you went down the wrong path or had a head full of nonsense, the Holy Ghost is coming to purify all of that. So, so preparing you for Christ. Okay? So fire and water, this is al- the alchemical symbolism that actually constructs the what? The hexagon. The hexagram. So the fire is the triangle the pointing up, and the water is the triangle pointing down. So you're going to be baptized with both of these. Correct? Okay. And then in doing that, you, the, the Holy Ghost is going to baptize you as well, right? With the fire. So here you have fire and water combined in your baptismal rite. Symbolically, what are you creating? Using the alchemical symbolism of fire and water. The hexagon, 
which is what? Encodes the cube. Same thing. This is the what, what would be considered the Mogan David or Star of David or stuff like that. But of course, we know this is just geometry. First and foremost, it's just geometry, but it's used all over the world. So this, this sign is actually a representation of exactly what Jesus is mentioning here, or, or what is being mentioned in uh, Matthew, excuse me. So, so, when you burn all the fire and water, when fire comes in and water, right, you're purifying with fire and water. Water and fire are mutually destructive, first. Water will extinguish a flame and fire will boil water to nothing, right? So they're like, mutually destructive in this sort of sense. So you bring fire and water together and that sort of thing and they sort of dissolve, if you will, or whatever. The whole idea is that when you, you're going through the purification process, the only thing that's left is your true self. You're going through a process of purification of, of, uh, of uh, again, virginizing yourselves, right? And the only thing that's left, it's all gone. All the nonsense, all the lies, all the bullshit, all the misdirection, all the things that you thought that were incorrect, all the blah, 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 all of that's gone. And the only thing that's left is God. All is gone but God. In other words, that's what you're reverberating out. This is why you go through that baptism, okay? So this here is pointing to you, not only is it pointing to you into the stars, like where are we right now? We're by the Jordan River. Not only that, but it's pointing to you to fundamental symbolism. So most people see this and they're like, oh, it's the Israel and Jews and blah, 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 blah. It's actually, that's actually a, as much of a Christian symbol as anything. That symbol right there points to where the divine spark is. That's the six directions of space pointing to the center. That's Jerusalem. That's the city of God. That's Judea. That's the cross becoming, that's the cube becoming a cross. All of these things, every single one to do what? Point to where God is. Then it goes on to say, who's, so this is him, that he's separating me from the chap. He's separating the people who've been honest, full of integrity, dignity, compassion, care, righteousness, and those who are not, whose fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly purge his floor. The floor I'm assuming is literally the plane of the earth in this sense, right? And gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. He's separating the wheat from the chaff. The chaff is going into what? An unquenchable fire. It's going to be burned up entirely because there's, it's not truth. There's nothing, there's nothing there. So uh, whose, it says whose fan is in his hand. It's basically, this is, uh, this is the commentary for it. It's basically just saying that, um, uh, what does it say here? The, um, the sheaves of corn are thrown over it, uh, the oxen treading on them, the large winnowing fan uh, driving on them, the full force of the strong current of air leaving the wheat in the middle while the chaff is driven to the outskirts of the field to be uh, afterwards swept up and burnt. The metaphor was a sufficiently familiar one, of course, to people that were, you know, you know, farmers and that sort of thing. So so that's what it's mentioning. It's basically just, once again, highly charged poetic language that's metaphoric to say, look, you got the people that lived an honest life and those that didn't. They got the people that when they heard about truths like flat earth, they didn't be like, well, I'm a flat earther, but I just don't want to talk about it. They said, no, no, that's truth. That's what we're going to be talking about now. When the people that found out, the people that found out was like, oh, okay, well, everything I was taught about this since I was a child and had to, was reared in Catholic school and like beat with a, you know, a, a ruler and all this other stuff, everything that they were forcing me to believe, I found out was not true. <laughs> and now there's this other stuff that's true that makes so much more sense. Are you going to say, well, I don't know, I'm gonna, I don't, you know, I don't want to piss off my family, or are you just going to embrace the truth? That's the difference. 
That's what God wants of you. As I always say, God wants us to live in his world, not the devil's, not Satan's, not the NWO or the IMF or the World Economic Forum or the, the federal government or whatever. They're creating their own little twisted, warped world. And God does not want us to live in that world. That's a world of falsehoods, okay? God wants us to live in his world. So that's what it's all about. People that lived in his world and were honest with it and those that were not. And that's all that God really wants of us. That's, that's At the end of the day, that's it. He's like, I have made my will how I want you to live, once again, full of heart, integrity, truth, honesty, dignity, calling out the bullshit when bullshit needs to be called out, standing up for what's good, true, and right, saying, sometimes saying the most important thing, even when it's the least popular thing to say. Some, and God's like, well, that's going to be a difficult one for you, but guess what? Going to have to do it anyway. That's what God wants of you. And that's what Jesus is separating right now. Then come Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. So now Jesus is is um, going to John to be baptized by John. And John's like, you're Jesus, dude. Why would I baptize you? Like, you're the dude. But John forbade him saying, I have need to be baptized of thee and comest thou to me. He's like, I, you should be baptized in me, not the other way around. Right? And Jesus answering said unto him, suffer it not or suffer it to be so now, do this now, because they're fulfilling the prophecy, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. There, it, We have to fulfill the prophecy in order to get these guys' shit straight, in other words. And then he suffered them. So then he's like, you know, etc. So then they did it. And the, what, what? Uh, think about this. Like he's the walking son of God and he asked somebody else to baptize him, St. John. That's a man of the people. <laughs> That's a man of the people right there. I'm from the God Almighty. I and my father are one. But could you dip me in the water, bro? Like, isn't this the guy that could walk on water? He could do whatever he wants, right? That is, that, to me, that shows that he is absolutely a man of the, the common man. I think it's, I think it's a brilliant, brilliant thing. Jared Poole, $50. Thank you so much. Does everybody get that? Okay. Let's continue on. Wait, I think I missed one. Sorry, did I miss one? No, he suffered him. Then, okay, we're going to end it here. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. Okay, double entendre here, right? So where are we right now? We're being baptized in the River Jordan. So he's in a river. And where is that river? In the waters above. That's where it is. So Jesus, as we already know, we already know where he is. Boom, right there. He's in the waters above. He's by the river. And lo, the heavens were opened up to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. Now, once again, this is where Jesus ascended into heaven. is considered the Mount of Olives, right? So when we talk about Jesus ultimately ascending into heaven, we're talking about the pole star. Once again, our ascension process, our death and rebirth is written in, God wrote that, process into our cosmology. That's what we're saying. When we talk about Jesus being the Son and the death and resurrection of the Son, we see that death and resurrection every single day. We see it every single year. What is God telling us? Follow the Son. I wrote your spiritual path in your cosmology. Then where are we ascending to? Well, what's the highest point in our cosmology? What's the tippy top where everything revolves around? The pole star. So once again, God made a little light in the heavens to say, guess what? This is where you want to head metaphysically anyway, right? So when Jesus, when he was baptized, 
went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened up to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and light lighting upon him. You know, right? This is a process of enlightenment, illumination. Um, that dove is the constellation Columba. So here you have themes repeating from the Old Testament to the New. So the constellation is Columba, which is Latin for dove. And we know that the symbol of peace is the dove. Of course, we know um, that's been for a long time. That's been the symbol of peace. It's been the symbol of enlightenment. Once again, when that Holy, the Holy Ghost giving you the gifts of the Spirit come in the form of the dove. Right? Always in the symbol. So the consistent symbolism from the Old Testament to the New. So this is Columba, which is the constellation of dove. Columbia, uh, like um, Columba Day is the, is the family of birds. So Columba. And so this is your, there's your constellation Columba. So once again, and this is the, the ark. Once, and we've covered this before. I'm just this a little review, but there's your Argo Navis. The Noah's Ark, which is literally like the biggest constellation. When you combine those three constellations, the biggest constellation in the sky. A big-ass boat, in other words. And that's an ark. And that's Argo Navis. And to the right of that ark is a dove, and to the left is a raven. And that's exactly the story that you have within Noah's Ark. A big boat. There's a flood. Waters, which is exactly where they are. Sends a dove out, sends a raven out. The dove comes back, finds out that there's dry land, which is what? It's a symbol for peace. It's like now we, we, we're no longer in the storms of the ocean. Now we're going to find dry land. So therefore it becomes a symbol of peace. So this symbol of, once again, that we found in the Old Testament is smack dab in the new, representing Jesus's ascension. Descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And a low a voice, one voice from heaven saying, what? This is my son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Okay. Now, interesting. Because Jesus, I, I and my father are one. So, right? So, God's speaking to Jesus and they're like separate, right? What's what's missed here? Well, what? why does Jesus say, I, I and my father are one? Why does he say that? Because the Lord is within you. The Lord, as we teach, the Lord, the, the, the divine spark is within you. And God is the totality of the whole thing. And those two things are connected. They're not separate. We are not separate from the entire thing. That's the whole point, okay? Hence, God is the totality. Lord is the singular. Lord is the singular. God is the wholeness, okay? So this wholeness of the word that reverberates through the whole thing is like, ah, look, the dove entered within you. You baptized. You're the, you know, you know, I'm flow. The power of God is flowing through the Lord right now. They're not separate. He's saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's what God is saying. So let's look at the math here. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is the last line in Matthew. We only did this one, one gematria today. Uh, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This equals 227. Equals 227. 22 divided by 7 is 3.142. Okay, that's fine, whatever. But 227 is the 49th prime. It's a 49th prime number. What's 49? It's 7 squared. What is 7 in code? Pi. And low a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Equals 227. 22 divided by 7 is, is pi. 
Okay, whatever. Maybe that's just playing with some math. But 227 is the 49th prime, which is 7 squared. Now, this says, and a low a voice from heaven saying, comma, and then this is what he says. So this is what the gematria is of just what God says. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That equals 137. Gematria total. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Equals 137. 137 is the 33rd prime. How many years did Jesus live? 32 or 33? 137.5 is the degree of phylotaxis. So when I'm saying, so 0.5 off, once again, gematria is just whole numbers. You don't have, you know, decimals at all or, or that sort of thing. Fractions. So 137 is a number that points to not only the 33rd prime number, which 33 being a you know, direct reference to Christ and the number of years that he alleged was alleged to live. We also have phylotaxis. So when we say that the, the, these stories and the, when we, we look at the, you know, earning your merit badge, in other words, when you go in and look at these stories and say that they're pointing you to things within your creation to help you see God within your world, not, not 2,000 years ago or have some faith in some dude, that these stories are there to change your consciousness so that you can look down on a flower and see God reverberating through that flower or through that plant in your living world. So you can look up at the pole star and see where Jesus entered to heaven. You can look, to, you can look over at uh, Orion's belt and see where the, the river Jordan is. So you can see these things in your world. It's not just some stories that happened a long time ago. Okay, so this here, my beloved son, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. 137 is the 33rd prime. 137.5 is the degree of phylotaxis. This is how plants grow. This is why these numbers are being explicitly encoded within there. Chad Myers, thank you so much. Appreciate that. Okay, now this is, uh, this is Christ multiplied and then square rooted which is basically just two, you know, basic functions of math. So there's the gematria of Christ, 365567. Five, 3 times 6 times 5 times 5 times 6 times 7 is 18,900. The square root of that is 137.47. Roughly phylotaxis. So, not only did 137 be the 33rd prime, this is God telling Christ that he's pleased with them. <laughs> okay? Then you find what's encoded in there, all this stuff. 137.5, that is the degree of phylotaxis. That's encoded in Christ's name. And that's also encoded in this last verse. 137.5 times pi is 432. So you guys, like a lot of people know that like, uh, you know, people tune to 432 because it sounds better. It actually does. I think it does. How plants grow, mathematical constant, multiplied, and what do you get? The very number in which a lot of people are tuning to now because somatically it makes sense, right? Like this is, you see all these beautiful patterns. It just sounds better, that sort of thing. So the point is this. Like here's this last line in the verse in Matthew. 
ending this chapter. And this is God speaking directly to Christ. This is like, this is my son, I am pleased. Then what's actually mathematically encoded within these verses, within this sentence, is literally pointing you to a number that's encoded within Christ's name, the number of years that he is alleged to live, and a pattern of growth that's found all throughout nature. See what's being missed? See what's being missed? When you laugh off math, you? When you be like, oh, phonology, that's a dumb subject. Why would anybody study phonology unless you were actually building a language for the Polynesian people? <laughs> nuts. So, you see what's being missed? And that's going to do it. 137 watching right now. See? See? See how that works? Stephen Mahew, 1467. Thank you so much. Carrie Musgrave, five coffees? Thank you so much. John Vina, Lucy Short, Virginia Murray, thank you all so much. Really appreciate that. Coming through, guys. I really appreciate that. You're going to keep us alive. And that's amazing. So that's going to do it for me today. I hope you guys all learned something. Um... Yeah, mathematically, phonically, harmonic. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's once again. This is why I keep harping on this, and I just keep repeating, and I'm gonna end up repeating myself for the rest of my life. But this is poetry, man. This, it's it's meant to be viewed as poetry. You can't extract the higher meanings unless you view it as poetry. You know, to me, the greatest books of you know literature that's ever been written always has that sort of poetic sense to it. There's the nuanced language, subtleties, that sort of thing that make you have to go in and read between the lines. This is what makes literature so genius. Some of the greatest writers of the world use this too. You can go to James Joyce. You can look at William Shakespeare. You can go to freaking, you know, whatever. You get the point. That you know these these writers use these techniques and they're long-standing techniques in order to encode higher levels of wisdom. The Bible's doing the same thing, and the genius of it is next freaking level. There's nothing out there that comes close to this. There's no other book, in my opinion, that comes even close to what is is captured in here. The problem is people don't know how to read it. That's the problem. Well, we're gonna try to help with that issue. So, all right, that's going to do it. Guys, thank you all so much. I really appreciate you all being here. I love my tribe. My tri. See what I did there? There's the triangle and the B, and I love my tribe. I really appreciate you guys all. I really appreciate everybody that stops by every Sunday and everybody that becomes a member and everything like that. Appreciate your sermons so much. Layers Deep gives me contemplation material for the week. Thanks, Marty and Jen, for your dedication. Thank you, Lindsay Chapman. That's really what this is all about because I really want to give uh, information or um, you know perspective or whatever a lesson for the week that you can literally meditate it on it on it through the week. So um, so I'm glad at least somebody's doing that. So that's awesome. All right, that's gonna do it, guys. If you'd like to sign up at the academy and the church and support the work, you can do a three month tithe. You can do uh, one year. You can you can uh, set that up as like scheduled payments or one time or whatever you want to do. It's all in your hands. And if you want to stop over at um, uh, Gnostic Academy as well, they've got the do we've got donation buttons and all that other stuff there. So if you want to check that out, that would be awesome. So thank you guys so much for being here. I really appreciate it. And I hope you learned something today. 
May you always keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. May his grace be with you all. Amen. Pretty awesome, huh? Pretty awesome. Hey, Watson Atkin, Watson Atkinson, you are moderated. Boom! Boom! All right. Okay, cool. We're going to listen to a song called Passion to Desire because Eric C., I believe, said that he wanted to hear it or something like that. So it's a song that I wrote, and we're going to listen to it. So thank you guys so much for being here. I will see you next week. We'll do chapter four next week, and that's going to be really good because that's Jesus being tempted by the devil. He gets taken up to a high place, and the devil's like, hey, want some this and this and this? And Jesus is like, get gone, bitch. Out of here. So we'll cover that, and that'll be really great and a lot of fun. So, okay, guys. As always, many blessings and much love to all.
when you can't take no more and they may just steal your heart 